0: Listening to the Venue podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at South Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. If you've got your Bible, turn to James. As you know, we're still walking through the book of James, and we're going to be again in chapter one this morning. So, got a little ways to go before we hit chapter two. But James, chapter one, and we're going to start in verse. Sixteen, and when we we'll start reading here in just a moment, James chapter one, verse sixteen. Uh, some of y'all may know the name a W Tozer, incredibly godly man, uh, wrote a lot about the Christian life, and he said that the most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about god i 'm going to say it again, he says the most important thing about you, so maybe, maybe the thing that like, defines your life the most and has the most impact on your daily life is what comes to mind when you think about God? C.S. Lewis sometimes like, disagreed with him and said, well, like, it's really what, it's what God says about you. And i would say that's true, but I also tend to, to think that Tozer has it right in the idea that your perception of who God is affects everything about you. The question that I believe James is helping us walk through, is, so if we go back to... Verses 12 to 15, and now we're going to be in 16 to 18 today. The, the question I think he's really answering and kind of ringing out for us, so to speak, is why should you choose pleasure, or even what you can say, why should you pursue pleasure in God over the pleasure that temptation offers? Why should you f- find pleasure in God rather than trying to find the pleasure that the, the things of this world offers that, that temptation lures and entices you with? But why should you choose to find it in God? And what he does in verses 16 through 18, rather than just saying, temptation is lame, don't do that, like, he instead, he really points out who God is, he kind of rings out again, so to speak, the nature of God and his, his goodness toward us. He, he, he offers you something better. So instead of just belittling temptation and things of this world, he actually offers you something better. He, he points you to God. Why should you choose pleasure in God over temptation? I think understanding this text and really understanding who it reveals God to be is foundational for your walk with Christ. Like, how many of us have felt stuck in a rut in our relationship with God because we don't understand this text or maybe just don't believe it? How many of us have struggled with sin and gone back to the same temptations over and over and over again because we failed to to recognize the truth of this text or we've just failed to believe it? Incredibly important truth. Why choose the things of God over the things of the world? Verse 16, chapter one. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. First point today, every good thing is from God. Every good thing is from God. Verse 16 is kind of a, a hinge verse. James likes to do this, we're finding, where he's been talking about in verses 12 through 15, trials, temptations. We're still kind of in that big umbrella of context, but the difficulty that life presents us and how sometimes out of a trial, you find yourself in the middle of temptation. And again, those temptations spur not just from Satan, but also from within, right? Our own sinful flesh, our sinful desires, and they entice us to find pleasure in the things of the world. And James is saying, don't be deceived. Don't give in to those lies, whether they're from Satan or whether they're from your own flesh, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every single one, the purest and the most satisfying pleasures come from who? From God. Yeah. He's not like, well, you know, there's a few things the world has to offer. No. Every good and perfect gift, every single one, it's from the Lord. Don't be confused. Don't be deceived. Every good thing is from the Lord. You know, this has really been, like, speaking of deception, this has been Satan's tactic from the beginning, right? In the garden, Eve, are you you sure God said that? Are you sure you can't have that fruit? Come on. Maybe maybe the Lord is holding out on you. Maybe the Lord's been good to you, but maybe there's this other thing that God's kind kind of holding out on. Maybe you can find some pleasure over here. James says, don't Be deceived. Satan's really got one trick. He's really, really good at it, but he's got one trick. He lies to you. And his his one of his common tricks or common things he lies to you about is "Ah, there's there's pleasure in somewhere in something else or in someone else other than the Lord. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It all comes from the Lord. I think this is so important. Notice James is not telling you how to behave, he's telling you how to delight. Don't be confused, don't be deceived. You want pleasure, you want treasure, it's from the Lord. So his aim here is not, you better get your act together. No, his aim is, I'm showing you where the treasure chest is. Like if you're prone to think that Christianity is a bunch of rules and and just religious, like don't do that, do this. James is here, there's almost like a metaphor here of James saying like, here's where the treasure chest is. You want all the good things in life, the best things that life has to offer that actually come from the Lord. You find them in him. Every good thing is from the Lord. So you you go to Him. You you seek after Him. You sit at the feet of the Lord, knowing that pleasure, goodness, joy comes from Him. Anything else that tries to offer you ultimate satisfaction and pleasure in, in an ulterior way, in a different way than the Lord. It's always a knockoff. It's never the real deal. There's always a catch, so to speak. Every good thing comes from the Lord. I remember my home church growing up, for almost every year, I really liked, probably like elementary school through high school, we would take a trip down to Reynosa, Mexico, and work with a children's orphanage there called Rio Bravo Ministries. It's still, still going on. a super cool ministry. Um, but we would often either on the first day of the trip, which we would drive all the way from Jacksonville, Florida, which is a long ways. But we would either the first day or the last day of the trip, we would go to Progresso, I think is is the name of the town. Anybody ever been to Progresso? Maddox has we went there with Itasca one time. Yeah. So Progresso, there's there's all these little um shops, like I don't uh, almost you could say like out like think of like outlet stores, so to speak. But I remember in middle school, uh because me and my buddies, none of our parents would buy us Oakley sunglasses, which makes sense for middle school. I'm just saying, like, it makes sense. But we would all go to, uh, they had these little sh- shops where they would sell Oakleys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they, uh, they, they had the Oakley logo and everything, but they were not actually Oakleys. But I remember we would all, of course, like, I don't know how, I guess my parents had these pictures. This is way before social media, so I, I couldn't go and find it, and it certainly wasn't on my phone because we did not have phones. But uh, we would all take pictures like on the way back because we'd drive again from Mexico back to Florida. So every rest stop, me and all my buddies, we'd like stand out in front of the church van with our Oakleys, right? Like getting that picture. But the problem was by the time we got back to Florida, already it's like, oh man, like the O is smearing off. <laughs> or, or, they, they would crack super easily, Or like, you look at the pictures and like, the glasses are sitting sideways on our face. Like they're not, we, we thought we, like, I think we probably paid $10 for these Oakleys, right? Like we're thinking, this is awesome. We got steel, man. We got Oakleys. And our moms and dads are like, yeah, yeah, you, they're cute. Yeah. We were always disappointed because it turns out you don't buy Oakleys from a pop-up shop in Progreso, Mexico. It's not the real deal. It was a cheap imitation of the real thing. Anytime you you try to find pleasure and joy in things other than the Lord or in ways that the Lord has not given you to find that joy, you're always going to be let down. It's always a knockoff. It's, excuse me, it's always a cheap imitation. It's never the real deal when you say, okay, God says I can have joy in this, but maybe I'll I'll cheat around and try to find joy this way. You're always going to be let down. I think often it's easy to look at the things of the world or people that are finding joy in the world. Well, they're doing okay. I promise you they're always going to be let down. Every good thing comes from the Lord and only in him. Now, if, if that wasn't enough motivation to like, like, why choose pleasure in God over temptation? He, he actually gives us a second reason in verse 17. i to unpack it a little bit, but let's read it again. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above. And then he describes uh, from above, meaning he, he describes God. He says, coming down from the father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. I think while well, there's some things to unpack there, the main idea of what's being said is very evident, kind of halfway through 17, where he says, speaking of God, who does not change. So, to go ahead and give you the second point that's in this truth in this text here is this God is always good. He's always good. Remember, we used to, uh, man, it's been so long. Was it um, growing up in church? We used to always say, God is good. All the time. Yeah, some of y'all remember, it. and all the time. God's good. That's right, yeah. And, yeah, some of you, it's been like 20 years and you still remember it, right? Like, stuck with you. But that, that's probably where that, that truth we used to always say in church is coming from is right here that he does not change. Him being good is always who he is. He, he, there's no variation in him, there's, there's no change. You can count on him. He, he's faithful. Just to unpack this a little bit, it says he comes down, every good thing comes down from the Father of lights. Referring there to God as creator, that he's the one who hung the sun, moon, and stars. That as Psalm 147.4 says that he, he puts them where in their place. Like, isn't that such a crazy thought? Like, you know, you can organize your house and put things where they go. God's like, I'm going to organize the heavens real quick I'm to put this star over here, put this star over here. And he, and he names them, right? Like Frank over here, right? Probably no stars named Frank. That'd be awesome. He puts them in their place. He knows their name. He's the father of lights. Which, by the way, is partly why he's able, he's capable of giving every good thing. He's the only one able to give every good thing is because he made the universe. He holds it in his hand. He's like, yeah, that's about, that's about right. Yeah. It's all his. He's the father of lights. He created it all. But it says, who does not change, like shifting shadows. So I believe what James is doing here is, is kind of, he's looking at the same idea, but looking at two sides of it. So God's the father of lights, but he's different than the heavenly light, so to speak, sun, moon, stars. And that he doesn't shift. He doesn't change. So the sun, moon, stars, even in the Milky Way galaxy, they're moving, right? God is not like them. He never moves. As stable and, and firm, so to speak, as the sun, moon, stars seem. They, they still shift. Saying God doesn't shift. And, and he mentions shifting shadows. Sun causes shadows to shift, right? Saying God is not like that. He never changes. You can always count on him to always be good. To just play out this idea of of the shifting shadows, you ever been, and you're I think back to this summer. Man, it was so hot all summer. How many times you're you're out in the backyard or the front yard, or whatever, and you find a shady spot, but then like thirty minutes later, what are you doing? Picking up your lawn chair, dragging it over, right, to find that shade again. And unpacking that idea. I love what Sam Allberry says about this. He says, God is not forever shifting his position. In Christ, we have found the perfect spot to bask in his grace. We never need to move. God is not fickle. He does not go through phases. We are not flavor of the months for a time and then cast aside and forgotten about. God is always good to us and his commitment to us never falters. Amen. It's always good. Say it this way. Because he's constant, you can be calm. Because he's steady, you can be settled. Because he's persistent, you can be at peace. Like, so cool. Every good thing comes from him, and he's always good. It's always his nature. He never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed in the morning. Regardless of which side you wake up on in the morning, he never changes who he is. I love this picture. I think so often in, in the Christian life, we kind of feel like we're a little bit on, on shaky ground, maybe with the Lord, or man, did I displease him? And the reality is, if you're in Christ, you know he's always good towards you. Yes, there, there's discipline, there, there's correction in your walk with him, but he's always good to you you may object and say, well, I don't always feel like he's good to me. I would tell you, absolutely, there are so many moments in life where it's gonna be hard to see the goodness that God is doing. I think that's actually why he uses kind of the, the example, so to speak, that he gives in verse 18. Let's read that. It says, by his own choice, He gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's unpack this a little bit before I'll give you a third and final point for today from the text. By his own choice. So whatever it is that that James is about to unpack, he's saying it was God's choice. No one made him do it. He didn't have to do it. He wanted to do it. We didn't. Deserve it, whatever it is he's about to say. We didn't earn it. God chose to do it because, to tie on verses 16 and 17, because he's good, because it's who he is. By his own choice, he gave us birth. What's he referring to? He's referring to salvation. Ephesians, Paul says, again, people, James and Paul disagree. No. Paul says, we were dead in our trespasses, but we've been made alive through Christ. So that's what James is referring to. By his own choice, God has made us alive. He's given us us birth into the family of God. We have eternal life. How does that happen? It says by or through the word of truth. What is the word of truth? Yes, the the, the word of God, but he's more specifically referring to the gospel. So by his own choice, because God wanted to, he saved us. We've been born to the family of God. And how did that happen? Through the word of truth, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is that we are, are dead in our trespasses. We are sinners on our way to hell, completely hopeless. But by his own choice, Jesus Christ, God, the son, Came, put on flesh and blood, lived the perfect life, and died the death that we deserve on a cross. It was beaten to a bloody pulp and breathed his last last on that cross for you and me. We were saved because of what Christ did for us. Now, to tie back what I said a second ago, if you object to the second point and say, "Man, like I, it doesn't seem like always good. God is always good." I can't think of a Better example of where in the moment no one could have seen how good was coming from what God was doing. Jesus, who was supposed to be the savior of the world, is nailed to a cross. How is good? How was God always good? In the moment, everyone was blind to it. But the reality is, three days later, Jesus rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And the disciples began to realize as they as Jesus unpacked the all of scripture to them, that on that cross, God was paying the price for the sin of all humanity. God showed his goodness on the cross by his own choice. And he's not done, he says, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So by his own choice, he saved us through the gospel. We're saved by grace through faith in him. And it's so that we could be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Often we think of first fruits as as giving your best, off the top, giving that to the Lord. The Lord, that's very much a biblical idea. Here, the idea is first fruits that the first produce of a season showing more is to come. So, when when a, a tree first begins to produce that fruit, it's the promise of more to come. But what he's saying is that yes, God saved us and it's so good, it's so amazing, but that's just the beginning of his goodness to us. It's the third point of today. The cross was just the beginning of God's goodness to you. It's amazing, it's overwhelming, we can't wrap our minds around it, but it was just actually the beginning of his goodness. That yes, he saves you, he doesn't just save you and say, well, got that done. Put you over here until you get to heaven. No, he continues to show his goodness, his faithfulness every day. And undoubtedly in heaven, we will ultimately see his goodness forever and ever unending. The cross was just the beginning of God's goodness to us. So you can say this: it's, it's the proof of God's goodness, but it also gives us the motivation to persevere knowing the best is yet to come. He's good. I liken it to this, that if you've ever driven up towards the Rockies and maybe you're, um, I guess people aren't using a map anymore, kudos to you if you're actually using like a real life map, but you've got your GPS or your phone or whatever, if you're like me and you get lost easily, and you can look on your phone, as you, as you get into the Rockies, like you're slowly getting into the foothills, you can look around you and say, man, this is so good. This is so amazing. But I can look on that map on my phone and kind of scroll to where I'm headed deeper into the Rockies and realize it's only gonna get better. The best is yet to come. Yes, there's gonna be hard roads ahead. There'll be some difficulty, but it is only gonna get better. I think that's the picture here is that we can look at the gospel. We can look at what Christ has done on the cross and go, man, this is good. This is amazing. But we look at the map. We look at the rest of the story and look ahead and know it's only gonna get better. God's goodness is towards me. I'm only going to get to experience it more and more. Heaven is ahead of me. The best is yet to come. So, why should I choose pleasure in God over pleasure in temptation? Because I've already seen how amazing God has been to me, and there's only more to come. Every good thing is from God. God is Always good, and the cross was just the beginning of God's goodness to you. best is yet to come. John Owen, who's a Puritan who wrote a lot on the Christian life, and he wrote a book called "Communion with God," that of just having relationship with the Lord, being close, intimate relationship with the Lord. Let these words strike you. He says, until the love of the Father is received, we have no communion with the Father in love. Abiding in the Father's love, all is peace and quiet. But how to rise up to the height of the Father's love, many do not know. It is God's will that he should always be seen as gentle, kind, tender, loving, and unchangeable. It is his will that we see him as the father in the great fountain and reservoir of all grace and love. So long as the father is seen as harsh, judging, and condemning, the soul is filled filled with fear and dread every time it comes to him. Again, until the love of the Father is received, we have no communion with the Father. I want to ask you what we started with. Again, what comes to mind when you think of God? If you don't see him as good and faithful and loving and, and, and wanting to show his goodness to you, you're going to always tend towards, you're always going to shift towards finding pleasure in the things of this world, in in temptation rather than in Jesus. You have no hope of finding your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus if you don't think he's good. James is wanting you to get, he's good. Every good thing that you delight in in life is from him. So why would you go to anyone else but to him? And in typical biblical fashion, James, like Paul often does, is he rounds out his argument with the cross, that the cross gives clarity to God's goodness. When you're in doubt of his goodness and his future faithfulness, look back to the cross. The other day, I think it was last Monday, Austin and I, our high school pastor, were going to grab lunch real quick, and we pulled out of the parking lot, and I forgot I had my sunglasses on, but we were driving down Memphis, and I was looking over to the neighborhood over here, and I saw some a uh, flower, some, I guess actually was some grass that looked kind of like goldish pink to me. And I was like driving, like, oh, I think I even verbally said something about like, oh, it looks kind of pink. And I was like, oh yeah, I have my sunglasses on. Like, I really was kind of in awe like, that's the most beautiful grass I've ever seen. Like, some my sunglasses, oh yeah, it's not, it's, not, it's not reality. So often the things of, of the world seem really enticing because we have a, a worldly lens over our eyes. That, yeah, God is, so we bought the lie that Satan's been selling forever. Like, yeah, God's kind of mean and harsh, and I just have to obey Him. And but really, the world has some great things. The cross offers you to take off those foolish, deceiving glasses and see the world in clarity that God is good, and the things of this world are fading. The things of this world offer you no lasting hope and joy. You know, if you're a believer this morning, the response it could be a couple of things. It could be to repent from, from trying to find your, your greatest pleasure in the things of this world and say, Jesus, would you draw my heart back to you? It could be to ask God for clarity. God, would you help me to see who you are? That was, that was Tozer and... John Owen's big point, like if you don't see God for who he is, of course you're not going to grow in him. Of course you're not going to have communion with him. Of course you're going to seek pleasure in the things of this world because you're missing out on who he is. So maybe the response as a believer is just, God, would you open my eyes to your goodness? And if you don't know Jesus this morning, the invitation is to look at son of God nailed to a cross and know that he is good, that he offers you forgiveness and life and hope if you will turn to him for salvation. There's not just, not just salvation, which is amazing, but there's also pleasure in knowing him. It says, come on, come home. We're going to sing in just a minute. There are going to be some folks back in the back. If you want to talk, and also back at the coffee center, if you want to talk to someone about trusting Jesus or need more clarity on that or want to pray with somebody we're there to do that but we're going to sing a song that just declares how good God is to us if you're a believer I want you to rejoice in that and also use this song as a time to talk with the Lord and ask him to give you clarity in his goodness I'm going to pray for us then we're going to respond God, would you help whatever deceptive lenses we've put on or have been placed on us to fall off? God, that we would see and know and believe and trust that you are always good, that every good thing comes from you, that the cross was just the beginning of your goodness and faithfulness toward us. Or for believers, would you help us to to repent, to to come back to finding our greatest pleasure and purpose in you, Lord? Would you help us to see you you for who you are, God, as we sing, to just rejoice, to remember your goodness? Lord, would you draw those that, that don't know you to yourself this morning? Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us, being good to us. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.